Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Mark Ambrosio. I'm your co-host, Anam Anjum. You know, Anam, here at GradCast, we talk to graduate students here at Western about their graduate research, but we don't really stop to think about what we're doing. We don't really stop to think about the conventions of conversation, the rules of speech, or even the way how we pronounce words, do we? That's a good point. I haven't really thought about it, but we have a guest here today who can help us learn more about speech sounds and language. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Jill Warman. I'm a current master's student here at Western in linguistics. Could you please tell us more about your research? Yeah, sure. So um, essentially, my research focuses on uh, the interface between phonology, which is the like theoretical sound systems of language, um, and then the phonetics, which is the acoustic sound signals of language, and how um, the research in both of those subfields can influence each other and uh, inform our research of them, uh, of the other one. Well, thank you. You spoke about some very specific subfields, namely phonology and phonetics. Um, I'm wondering, Jill, if you can back that up for a little bit for us and maybe tell us about how you got into linguistics here at Western. For sure. So I did my undergraduate at the University of Toronto. Um, I initially went there for something completely different. I took one first year course in linguistics. It was like my second day of university. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I was fresh, little baby Jill. Um, And the professor I had was so enamored with language and she was so cool. I was like, I want to be her. Um, And so uh, she really kind of opened my eyes to like the wonders of linguistics and how cool language is and all of the different things we can do with it. Um, And then I pretty much shifted my study from there. And then I did four years of a specialist um, and then decided I wanted to pursue further studies. I wanted to keep doing research. Uh, This was something I really cared about and something that really interested me. Um, And I kind of stumbled upon Western's program. And then uh, now I'm here. (laughs) Very cool. So you, you were very interested in your undergraduate and pursuing research further? Yeah, my kind of like I thought for a while I wanted to do kind of clinical work with speech pathology. Um, but as I entered my master's and I kind of started delving into the more specific research, um, uh, like research venues, I really decided that like the actual academic research is more what I wanted to do as opposed to clinical. So, yeah. That's amazing. So what is your research specifically about? Yeah, so I actually investigate the V sound. Um, and everyone says, like, why? That's so <laughs> weird. Um, and it is weird. But essentially, there's kind of two categories of sounds. Um, and those are kind of those with more friction in the mouth and less friction in the mouth. So if you compare, like, the amount of closure in the mouth when you make, like, the S sound versus the L sound, you can feel in the mouth how constricted you are. And there's a significant difference in those two sounds. Uh, and so traditionally speaking, we we categorize the V as more restricted because when you make that sound, you feel the closure in the mouth. Um, but actually, when you look at how it patterns in certain languages, it patterns more with the less fricated words. Okay. And um, is this in the English language? So my research focuses on Russian specifically, um, but this pattern uh, also shows up in a whole bunch of other languages. Hungarian <laughs> is one of them. Uh, Hebrew is another. Um, but English actually patterns exactly as we expect it to. <laughs> Very cool. Um, if you don't ask him, do you like do you speak or, and or do you read Russian? Um, I do technically speak and read Russian. Um, so I finished my undergraduate with a certificate of language fluency in Russian. I did three and a half years of credits 
um, taught in Russian. Uh, it was super cool. I really liked it. Now, of course, I research it forever. But uh, because there are very few people who speak Russian in London, I have probably gone from a B2 down to a B1 in the last year because I haven't had the opportunity to use it. Um, but with my research, hopefully I'll be able to use it some more. In English, you know, we different uh, in the UK or in the United States and Canada, we all pronounce words slightly differently mm-hmm. or even take a name, Tara, Tara. And uh, is is there something similar happening in Russian or do Russians tend to have more uniform pronunciation? So we certainly see like uh, big uh, accent differences in Russian and actually with the V sound specifically we do. Um, so most of the accent differences in English you can hear in the vowels specifically. Um, and then that's how we get that about a boot thing that everybody talks about with Canadians where we have like a boot. And that's actually because the vowel space in the mouth, vowels like to be equally distributed. So if you say e, u, you can feel that e is very front in the mouth and u is very back in the mouth. And so vowels like to be on the very edge and very equally distributed. And so vowel shifts will happen where sounds move a little bit in the mouth. And that's kind of how we see accent differences change. And we had this great big vowel shift in Canada. Um, and we're seeing it in the northern Midwest states as well right now. So that's kind of where we get that accent differences. Um, in Russian, the very little I know about Russian accents is that in some accents, the V is actually pronounced like a W in Russian. Um, but for the most part, the standard variety is Moscow or St. Petersburg. Okay, so would Moscow or St. Petersburg sort of be to Russian what Parisian is, Parisian French is to French? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the most like formal kind of prescriptive uh, standard form. Okay, thank you. Um, So you said that the V sound kind of sounds like the W sound. Mm -hmm. So could you say a few words that contain the V sound? (laughs) And I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm very fascinated by this. That's okay. So um, I wouldn't be able to imitate the accents that have it as like a W instead. If I wanted to say like without water, which is the piece of data I always use to show the phenomenon that I investigate, uh, it's bisvade. And I feel like some Russian speaker who listens to this will come for my pronunciation, um, but I hope not. So it would be like biswade or something um, in that accent. But I honestly can't. I can't really replicate it very well. I love that. Thank you so much for um, saying that, even though I put you on the spot. (laughs) Um, Now I actually want to ask you more about the phonological theory. So I assume that every language has their own theory. And if that is correct, could you tell us how the current phonological theory for the Russian language categorizes the V sound in terms of it having less friction or more friction? Yeah, so generally when we're lo- when we're talking about phonological theory, every language is going to have its own phonology and so every language will have its own set of sounds that we use. Um, a really good example of this is kind of when we divide up the type of sound. So in Japanese, um, we get that R and L are actually the same sound in Japanese. So when we get uh, second language English uh, Japanese speakers, you get this kind of convergence where they'll say L instead of R or R instead of L and that's kind of Um, how we see those phonologies kind of really come out. So um, each language will have its own kind of phonology, and those are like the theoretical sound systems that exist in our brain. And so the goal of the theories that we use in phonology are really to kind of accurately describe the processes that are happening in every language. So the goal is to have one universal phonological theory. In reality, we all know that nothing like that is ever that simple. Um, So current theories, there's obviously so many of them. Um, The framework that I work in actually uses like tables. So you kind of evaluate um, each candidate from like the underlying form, the theoretical form of a word um, to see which one actually comes out of the mouth. 
And so under that theory, there's a whole bunch of complications with V. So the issue with V is that if you look at just the way V patterns, and we see that um, sounds form natural classes in languages. All languages have natural classes of sounds, like S and Z are obviously very fim very similar. You don't kind of move your mouth when you make them. They're the same place in the mouth. The only difference is in your um, glottis, it vibrates or your vocal folds uh, vibrate. Um, so these form natural classes. And so um, there is a there are larger natural classes. There are obstruents, which have more friction in the mouth. Uh, and then there are sonorants, which have less friction in the mouth. Those are like vowels, L's, W's, um, Y's, things like that. And so when you look at the actual pattern of V in Russian and Hebrew and Hungarian, you'll see that the V actually falls into place with these more sonorous sounds like the L's and the vowels and the W's uh, or M's, M's, things like that. Um, so yeah, so current theories have kind of suggested that it's like the segment between the two, or maybe it's both, or uh, neither. <laughs> so there's not, um, there's not a whole lot of consensus on what it is, uh, and we don't have a lot of phonetic or acoustic evidence to support uh, how we classify it either. You mentioned earlier that each language has its own phonology. Um, this will sound. This is very much a non-linguist question, That's but I wonder. Okay. You know how uh, I don't speak Spanish, but when I hear people speaking what I assume is Spanish, I can recognize the language. I can recognize the sound. I can recognize the rhythm. People can recognize Italian. People can recognize French. People can recognize Russian. It sounds very serious. <laughs> and uh, people have these these images in their minds. Some of them may not be entirely accurate, but often they're quite accurate. Um, and I'm wondering what's happening there. Why do each language, why does each language sound different? Um, so that gets into like some very complicated and very specific phonetics of each language. So uh, part of that is because we know like there are some sounds in English um, that we don't that we don't use as much. So the the je sound is a really good example. So the, the je sound in measure. Um, that's not one that's super regular in English. Mm -hmm. We only have it in borrowed words generally from French. Um, but that's actually a really common sound in, in Russian uh, and some others. Um, another thing that we kind of recognize when we hear these languages are like consonant clusters. So Russian's known for its very large consonant clusters, like four or five consonants in a row. In English, we can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of restrictions on our consonants, so that's called phonotactics, the kind of rules on what's allowed in a syllable and what's not. Um, and so we kind of use all of these combinations of phonotactics and phonology and the very minute details of sounds like uh, from phonetics to kind of form our assumptions and our knowledge about languages and, and families of languages. So a lot of people who have not been exposed to a lot of Slavic languages, can't really tell them apart. Yeah. They all sound very similar because they have similar phonology, similar phonotactics, similar phonetics. So we kind of use all of those together to help us differentiate languages when we hear them kind of on the in the outside world. Um, we're not always very good at guessing the languages. I don't know if you've had that experience, but I certainly have. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That makes sense. Like, I, <laughs> I probably couldn't tell, like... Um... The Slavic languages apart. <laughs> and I, I, I still struggle telling Ukrainian and Russian and Belarusian apart if I hear them in too fast speech because uh, they're all very similar. So it's certainly <laughs> certainly a struggle as a second language speaker. That's so fair. Um, do you think that your research could apply to other Slavic languages such as Polish and Bulgarian? Yeah. So the goal of the research is, is to kind of get us a phonetic understanding of the V segment so that we can better classify it. Um, the, my research right now is focusing specifically on Russian, but because the same patterns are found in Bulgarian, 
um, and Hebrew and some other languages, it should apply to those as well. Um, and then I'm hoping to do some more work in the future on the other patterns of V. So um, there are languages where V sometimes patterns as both, which is actually what's happening in Russian and Bulgarian and Hebrew. And then there are languages where V patterns only like the L, the W, the M, and the N. Uh, and so those are like um, Serbian, Ukrainian, uh, and a few others. So hopefully that this research will kind of lead us into looking at the segment in other languages where it patterns slightly different as well. You spoke about the goal of your research, and I think what you're doing, I can tell it has, it's, you're making an original contribution to academic knowledge. Um, and I was wondering, can you tell us about bit about your program specifically is your master's a one or two year degree and where are you in your research yeah so my program is a two-year program um we actually don't have uh, a thesis track in my program it's just a, a major research project an mrp i can't remember if it's master's research or major's research that's fine um so i am entering my second year in the fall um i have submitted my proposal <laughs> um, and I'm working on ethics now. So not too far along, but I've still got another year. So so you mentioned ethics. Um, I infer, therefore, that you'll be doing field work with mm -hmm. living people and uh, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, books on the shelf. Um, what, what will your field work look like? Yeah. So um, a lot of linguistic research uh, is actually very similar in its field work and a lot of its casual conversation. Um, the goal of linguistics is always to get the most regular speech. Um, when I explain linguistics to people, I always tell them that there's two types of people who study language. There are your English teachers who tell you how to speak and what's right and what's wrong. And there are linguists who want to know how you speak and why. Uh, and we don't really care if you're right or wrong as long as we understand what you're saying. Um, and so the goal of linguistic research is always to get casual conversations. So I'll have one task where it'll just be uh, me and the uh, participant in a room where we just talk for 30 minutes in Russian. Um, and we'll probably just talk about their life. Um, so I can just hear them speak and hopefully get some of those V segments. Um, and then there'll also be a reading task to test more formal speech to see if there's a difference there. Um, and then they'll do uh, a judgment task as well, where they'll hear a native Russian speaker uh, say segments uh, of V uh, in the different environments where it behaves differently. And then I'm going to measure how they um, judge those segments as well to see if they agree with the theoretical pattern or something else. Okay, wow. I don't really understand how you would measure the amount of friction and all of that. <laughs> like, do you put headphones on someone and like just figure out like the decibels and like what, how do you measure friction? Yeah, so this actually, um, this was something I thought was going to be really simple when I first wanted to do this research. Uh, it turns out it's simply uh, much more complicated than I thought. Um, and so we have, there's an acoustic software that a lot of um, phoneticians use. It's called Pratt. Uh, it allows us to see the sound waves um, and the formants, which are just a whole bunch of uh, acoustic nonsense, um, and kind of allows us to see a whole bunch of the acoustic details of the sound. Um, and basically, I'm going to measure the harmonicity, um, which is a big word for um, <laughs> for how much friction, essentially, and also um, the center of gravity of the sound, which sound is very theoretical, um, and I'm still kind of working on uh, the best way to extract and interpret that data, um, but those are kind of the two measures that are generally used to measure frication, which uh, 
sounds like it should be sort of simple to just measure, but it's really uh, much more complicated than I intended. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And um, do you have like a hypothesis of what you're going to get after this research? Like, do you believe that V just has a less frictional sound? So that's a very it's honestly a very loaded question um so there's been all of the research on v since the 60s has really said that it's more sonorous it has less it has less friction than other segments that it should pattern like but it has more friction than the other sounds so it is somewhere in the middle that's what all of the research kind of suggests theoretically speaking um i recently was at a conference uh, with somebody who's done a lot of research on this and he said you know it's a sonorant <laughs> and i was like do you think so he's like I know so. Um, and mind you, he was like a 70-year-old uh, Polish man who mo- who spoke mostly Polish to me, although I do not speak it. Um, so he was certainly a character. But uh, I do think that it'll be less, it'll have less friction. Um, but I think it's actually influenced by the environment that it's in. So when you look at the whole pattern of V in Russian, it's very clear that whatever segment it's next uh, is on its right is the segment it behaves as. So if it's next to a vowel, it'll behave like a less fricated sound than if it's next to a T or an S. So uh, that's what I think is happening. I have a theoretical analysis for that that I did in my undergraduate that I'm hoping holds up. (laughs) Very cool. Um, I'm wondering if you, you mentioned earlier that linguistics as a discipline is not so much concerned with how things should be so much as how things are. Exactly. Yeah. And that's very, very evocative. Um, You're interested in studying the lived reality of language. Um, So that gives me a better idea of what linguistics is. And I know there's different branches of linguistics. There's like sociolinguistics. And can you feel me helping? Syntax, semantics are usually the other two. um, And then there's phonology, phonetics are usually kind of the big five. Okay, very cool. And then, so your area is in phonetics and phonology. Yeah, we usually call it the P side and the S side because it just kind of ends up that most people who work on phonology also do a little bit of phonetics. Most people that work in syntax or semantics also do a little bit of the other one. And then the socio usually falls a little bit on the syntactic side. That makes sense. Okay, that that helps a lot. And then, yeah, I I notice sometimes like sociolinguistics can sometimes relate to things like sociology. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, where, yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. It's a very interdisciplinary field. We, you know, we get a lot of anthropology, a lot of people who do like evolutionary linguistics kind of deal, um, where people will look at actually like how the vocal tract developed uh, and how language developed through that. I don't know a lot about that, um, but there's a whole lot of different um, subfields that kind of breaks into and uh, interacts with other other fields as well. Mm-hmm. So I am still honestly kind of stuck on just Russian speaking, differentiating that from English speaking. Mm -hmm. And um, just in your personal opinion, how do you do you think that Russian speakers have more trouble learning English just because of the way that um, V sounds in like both different languages? So it's actually interesting uh, when you talk to Russian speakers about this problem and it's that they don't know it's happening. Um, And that's kind of what makes it so difficult to categorize theoretically is that speakers don't have an intuition about this. It seems to be so minute that the language kind of structure is picking up on it in that it's patterning differently. Um, But speakers don't actually realize and they don't have any intuitions on whether or not it's got more frication in the mouth or less. Um, So it's kind of interesting. 
Um, generally speaking, I mean, I don't think that there's an audible difference in the way that anybody pronounces the V other than just um, the very minute phonetic differences we get across languages. I don't think that whether or not there's more friction or less friction in the mouth is actually audible or recognizable to anybody who speaks either language. Um, but hopefully we'll find that there is, because <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Um, you said that you can speak Russian. Did you um, learn to speak it when you were growing up from your parents, or did you just learn along the way from the research, research that you're doing? Yeah, so I uh, had no connection to Russia or Russian before I got to university. Um, I had to take two years of a non-romance, non-Germanic language uh, because of my undergrad degree. And so I pretty much determined that I can't do tones. Uh, they're too difficult for me. Uh, so much respect to those who can. But as a second language speaker, I tried in high school and failed miserably. Um, and so it kind of left me with the indigenous languages of Canada, which I knew I wasn't super interested in working with. Um, African languages, which we had very few classes on, or uh, Slavic languages. I just picked the most spoken Slavic language. Um, and then I ended up really liking it. So I just kind of stuck with it. And I took an extra year and a half after that. So. Was learning Russian hard? Uh, it was, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. I, had, I have a lot of respect for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely was hard. Um, I was actually very lucky, I think. In my first year of my undergrad, I took a year of Latin, which I assumed would be helpful. It wasn't. Yeah. Um, but it did teach me a lot about case declensions, which is a large difference between English and, and Russian. So Russian has different cases to mean different things, and that allows different uh, word order. So uh, an ending. So let's let's take lamp, for example, because that's an easy one. Uh, if I say the lamp, it's lampa. OK, great. If I say I like the lamp, I would have to say I like lampu would have to change the ending. And so those are called case declensions. Uh, and so depending on uh, the way that the word is interacting with the other um, things in the sentence, you change the ending. And so those are very difficult for English native speakers to learn because they're not natural to us. Mm. Mind you, uh, speakers who grow up learning languages with cases have absolutely no problem. But because I had a little bit of experience learning Latin, I knew I was already coming into the cases and I had a little bit prepared of how to use them and things like that. Um, but certainly the biggest challenge even now is verbs of motion <laughs> because there's a lot of them in Russian um, and also just vocabulary in general. So Jill, I'm both very impressed and I'm learning a lot today. This is very educational. <laughs> Thank you. But as we all know, there's a little bit more to graduate life um, than learning in the classroom or the type of learning that happens uh, with field work. And I'm wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit about um, your experience at Western. Are you involved in any extracurriculars? Yeah, so my, I mean, my main activity at Western outside of just um, studying is that I'm the deputy speaker at SOGTS. Um, I was super lucky to get involved uh, very, very early in my graduate career. Uh, I met our previous president, Danica Faka, at an event. I said like, hey, I'm gonna, be a counselor. And she was like, do you want to be our deputy speaker? <laughs> and it was um, kind of chaotic. But from there, I got uh, very kind of deep into uh, into SOGS. And so I've spent a lot of time learning about SOGS and writing policy and doing all sorts of things for them. Um, but yeah. Well, you think about it, it's kind of appropriate that we have 
a linguist as deputy speaker. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you're just reelected to your second term? Yes, I was reelected just at our last council meeting uh, about a week ago. Uh, So that was very exciting. And I'm very uh, grateful to have the opportunity to be the deputy speaker again. Um, But yeah, I think certainly my kind of awareness for the interpretation of language does help with policy Mm -hmm. writing. And a lot of linguists actually end up in policy writing as well. It's a common career uh, for those who do even a, just an undergrad, they'll end up in policy writing or in government somewhere. That's amazing. It's good that you have really just immersed yourself within graduate life. Um, I was wondering if you had any advice for anyone that is aspiring at, to go into graduate studies or researching phonology. Researching phonology is kind of becoming less and less popular in Canada. Um, but if you find something that you really care about and you're really passionate about, every linguist will listen to you. Uh, It's one of the things I love about the field. You can talk to a syntactician about phonology and they will always listen to what you have to say. So all you have to do is just find find a linguist who wants to work with you. Just find a linguist who will listen to what you have to say and somebody will work with you because it's uh, it's a very kind and and um, open field to work in. Everybody wants more linguists. We love having new people come into the field. Um, And I've been at conferences which are so heavily focused on phonology. But there'll be a syntactician who is there from the department that's hosting it. And they'll be like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, it's okay. We're so happy to have you. Um, and so it's such a welcoming field. Uh, but I, I encourage everybody to do linguistics. It is the coolest thing. Here at Western, in the linguistics department, are there more? You mentioned that linguistics is divided, generally speaking, between the P's and the S's. Yeah. Are there more of the syntax side or is there more of the phonology and... Uh, side of things uh, on the for the faculty it's pretty evenly distributed we don't have a huge uh, program here so for example it's only me and one other in my cohort so um, in my cohort we're both phonologists okay. um, but we did have a syntactician and a semanticist just graduate so it's on the student side it certainly fluctuates from year to year um, but on the faculty side we have uh, two syntacticians one phonologist and one sociophonetician oh. so he does very cool stuff with um, French R in Northern Ontario that I don't quite understand. And do you have a supervisor? I do, yeah. So I have two. I actually have the the sociophonetician works on my phonetic side, and then I have the phonologist who works on the phonological theory side of my project. So I'm I'm well supported. And who are your supervisors? Yeah. So Dr. Jeff Tennant works on the phonetics, and then Dr. David Heap works on the phonology. Okay, very cool. Sounds like you are well supported. I am. They are (laughs) wonderful. I have only wonderful things to say about them and the program in general. Honestly, I wish everybody would apply. Uh, (laughs) Well, maybe one day we will all be linguists. That's honestly my dream. I think everybody should be a linguist. I've learned so much. Well, I've learned so much from this episode in general. Um, I was actually wondering if uh, you had any type of social media that you want to talk about. Um, So if anybody wants to learn more about your research, is there a website they can go to or could they email you or anything? Do you have any social media that you would like to share? Yeah, so if anybody wants to follow my research, uh, it's posted on my LinkedIn, uh, for the most part, my conference activity. Um, And if anybody has any questions, uh, I'm happy to answer them via email. My email is just jwarman2 at uwo.ca. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to share uh, your LinkedIn page on our website. This has been uh, GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I've been your host, Mark Ambrosio, and my co-host was Anam Anjum, and we've been speaking with Jill Warren, and this episode was produced by Amelie Hutchinson. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcast.com at sogs.ca. 
You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening and thank you for joining us, Joe. Thank you for having me. Thank you.